0: Hello, and welcome to Caveat Realtor with Virginia Realtors, where we discuss the real issues that realtors face. I'm Laura Farley. And I'm Erin Barton. For all our listeners who may or may not have been confused by this introduction, Real Politics and Caveat Realtor are doing a crossover episode. So Erin, why don't you give us the famous legal disclaimer for old times' sake? My
1: pleasure. Remember, Caveat Realtor is meant to provide general legal information. Nothing we discuss should be considered as legal representation or legal advice. The information and laws referenced in this episode are accurate as of the date this episode was first released.
0: We'd like to thank our sponsor for Caveat Realtor, Virginia Housing Development Authority.
1: Hi, Erin. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic and excited to do our second crossover episode. I know.
0: And welcome back to Caveat. We've missed you.
1: I have missed you guys as well.
0: And I'm glad that you've come back and I get to spend some time with you before it gets to be PMX because... I feel like I really only see you at the property management conference. We had our spring update that I got to see you, and we're going to have the, the big main conference in Harrisonburg this October. That's right. The date has
1: changed. It's October, so you don't have to wait as long.
0: Right. And it's really exciting. We were in Harrisonburg last year, so I'm excited we're going back. That hotel was pretty pretty awesome.
1: It was very swanky, and um, we've moved it earlier, so hopefully we won't have any issues with snow.
0: Yeah. That would be really nice. <laughs> Um, And so for those of you that are wondering why we're talking a lot about PMX is because today's episode, we're going to be talking about updates to the laws, hence the crossover episode. And we're going to be talking about the property management laws that are changed, um, that got changed and are generally going to be going into, have already gone into effect on July 1st.
1: Right. And like we've said, so this podcast is part two of our new laws crossover between Real Politics and Caveat Realtor. Uh, If you missed the first one, you can go back and find it on both of our feeds. That's where we talk more about the general laws that were um, passed in the last General Assembly, and I believe the episode was released a few weeks
0: ago. Absolutely. So while there were a lot of property management bills in 2019 from the General Assembly, and there are some fairly major changes to the world of landlords and tenants, for once, there were not drastic changes to the VRLTA. And we'll pause while you guys cheer and... (laughs) Do a little happy dance.
1: <laughs> Enter music here again. Uh, right. And so, one of the biggest changes that you will see throughout the code is just three little words. In order to help distinguish now between possession and eviction, the often confusing term writ of possession has now been changed to writ of eviction.
0: Woohoo! That's exciting. <laughs> Although, I guess, is that sad that I find that exciting? A little bit. Okay. So the first place that we see this change is in the Right of Redemption Code provision. Now, a tenant will be able to pay all rent, other charges and fees, late charges, reasonable attorney's fees, and court costs up until two business days before the date scheduled by the officer who will be executing the writ of eviction. If the tenant exercises this right, the unlawful detainer will be dismissed. And we've also seen some changes
1: to the unlawful detainer hearings uh, since July 1st. Previous law required unlawful detainer hearings to be held within 21 days or if the case cannot be heard within 21 days from the date of filing, the initial hearing shall be held as soon as practicable. Now the new law sets that limit at 30 days by adding, but in no event later than 30 days after the date of filing.
0: The new law also states that a court cannot enter an order of possession at an unlawful detainer hearing unless the plaintiff or plaintiff's attorney or agent has presented a copy of a proper termination notice that was given to the tenant and the court admits the notice into evidence. And the final
1: change to the unlawful detainer hearing is a bill that will specifically allow owners to amend the amount alleged to be due in an unlawful detainer to request all amounts due as of the date of the hearing. If the plaintiff requests to amend the amount owed, judges must grant that request. They must allow the amendment, and the plaintiff is not required to file a subsequent unlawful detainer. Any subsequent unlawful detainers will then be dismissed unless they are for a non-rent violation while an unlawful detainer for non-payment of rent is pending.
0: The purpose behind this bill was to reduce the amount of unlawful detainers that were being filed against tenants for essentially the same issue, non-payment of rent. Now, all monies due can be included in the one unlawful detainer case.
1: So the next change we're going to talk about is to the tenant appeal bond. A defendant who wants to appeal previously had to pay an appeal bond in the amount of all monies currently owed, but also everything they would owe up until the court date, which was often 6 to 12 months away.
0: Right. And this has effectively made it impossible for a tenant to ever appeal. Now, the tenant is still going to have to put up everything they currently owe when they file their appeal but then they can pay their monthly rent into the court as it becomes due going forward. If the tenant misses a payment and the plaintiff motions the court, the judge must enter judgment in an order of possession without any further hearings.
1: We also saw some laws passed that affect the time periods on orders of possession and writs of eviction. Orders of possession are now valid for 180 days from the date they are granted by the court. And previously there was no time period which could lead to landlords obtaining an order of possession and holding it over the tenant's head for months or even years. Now, any order of possession is only valid for 180 days from the date granted by the court.
0: And a writ of eviction must be issued within 180 days from the date of judgment. Any writ of eviction not executed within 30 days after the date it's issued is automatically vacated as a matter of law without further order of the court.
1: Now, a few more smaller bills before we get to the big one, the eviction diversion program. Starting July 1st, landlords are required to have written leases with their tenants. In any situation where there's not a written lease, the law sets out what the terms of that relationship will be. It's a long list. You can see it written out in the code, but most significantly, that relationship will still be governed by the VRLTA.
0: So the two Virginia Code sections uh, dealing with landlord's noncompliance as defense to action for possession of nonpayment of rent and the tenant's assertion rent escrow have both been updated to state that if the tenant prevails under either of these sections, they're entitled to reasonable costs, including court costs and reasonable attorney's fees if they exist.
1: And yeah, just as a reminder, the situations that allow a tenant to assert noncompliance as a defense or escrow rent are... A fire hazard or serious threat to the life health or safety of occupants which would include things like a lack of heat hot or cold running water electricity or adequate sewage disposal facilities or an infestation of rodents or the existence of lead-based paint
0: another big change although i don't think it will affect our members as much because it's already included in the virginia realtor standard forms and most standard forms around the state is a new law that requires landlords, where the lease does not require the tenant to obtain renter's insurance, to provide tenants with written notice explaining several things.
1: First, that the landlord is not responsible for tenant's personal property. Second, the landlord's insurance coverage does not cover the tenant's personal property.
0: Third, if the tenant wishes to protect his personal property, he should obtain renter's insurance. Renter's insurance does not cover flood damage. And finally, that the tenant should research special flood hazard areas by visiting the FEMA website or the Department of Conservation and Recreation's flood risk system.
1: And Laura, just some background on this bill. This bill came about after a terrible situation in a large multifamily property that burned down, and the tenants suffered terrible losses. Most did not have renter's insurance and did not understand that the landlord's insurance didn't protect them. So the hope is that this bill will prevent a tragedy like that from happening again.
0: Or at the very least, make sure that tenants are aware that they need to obtain their own insurance.
1: Absolutely, and the bill also states that should a tenant request translation of documents, the landlord may assist in getting a translator but will not be liable for any inaccuracies in the translation.
0: Right, but the landlord can't charge for that assistance, and you'll remember a change was similar to this, went into the law a couple years ago. Um, to help generally with translation. So we wanted to make sure it was explicit here as well.
1: Correct. And actually, that language was pulled from the licensing part and dropped into the the, um, VRLTA. So
0: So one bill that became law way earlier this year, before July 1st, um, that we discussed in part one of our new podcast law, I think is also relevant here. This bill protects tenants and landlords who were impacted by the government shutdown that began on December 22nd, 2018. The law provides a 30-day stay on evictions and foreclosures for tenants, homeowners, and owners who rent to a tenant uh, for one to four-family residential dwelling unit who request a stay and provide the proper proof that they were impacted by the government shutdown. There are a few requirements under this law, and it's only in effect until September 30th, 2019. So if you have a client that was impacted, check out all of our new law's resources to get more of the details on what exactly this law does.
1: And now for the big change, the eviction diversion program. In order to address the media accounts of large numbers of individuals being evicted in the state of Virginia, Virginia realtors and several other stakeholders came together and worked with the Virginia Housing Commission to develop legislation that would directly address the concerns that were raised in those media accounts. So,
0: and Erin, our members really probably aren't the ones that are doing these evictions and causing these problems, but because we are so integral in property management law and we really wanna make sure our members are both protected and helping lead the way, that's kinda why we took a a real interest in this and, and you and Chip worked really, really hard on getting all this done, right? we wanted to make
1: it a priority and we wanted to be at the table really helping to drive the conversation and come up with solutions to uh, you know the issues that were being raised in the media we felt that our you know our place was to be in the forefront and that that was really important so
0: so let's talk a little bit more about what this program does what the
1: program's going to do is establish a pilot eviction diversion program in four localities Danville Hampton, Petersburg, and Richmond. The program will begin on July 1st, 2020, and then run until July 1st, 2023. And during that time, the Virginia Housing Commission will conduct evaluations of the effectiveness and efficiency of the program, and then provide a report to the General Assembly, including any recommendations for legislation in the 2023 General Assembly session.
0: And so while that may seem like it's a long way off, the the General Assembly wants there to be kind of time for the program to to work and make sure that any issues that are unforeseen might come up, right?
1: Well, and also they need time to collect data. Right. So there'll be a lot of data collection and review before they can see if the program's working and any changes that might need to be made or whether the program needs to go statewide.
0: All right. So let's talk a little bit more about what is required for a tenant to be eligible for the eviction diversion program. A tenant in one of the four jurisdictions must, one, appear in court on the court date and request to have the case referred to the program, two, pay at least 25% of the amount due on the unlawful detainer at that court date, three, provide sworn testimony that he or she is employed and has sufficient funds to make the payments under the court payment plan, four, explain the reasons for being unable to make rental payments as contracted for in the rental agreement. And the tenant
1: must also not have been late on their rent within the last 12 months, more than two times in six months or more than three times in 12 months. They may not have exercised their right of redemption within the last six months before entering the program, and they cannot have participated in an eviction diversion program within the last 12 months.
0: So if all of those terms are met, the program is mandatory, and that means that the court must direct all of the eligible tenants and landlords to participate in the program and enter into a court-ordered payment plan. That payment plan provides that all payments must be made to the landlord by the fifth day of the month. In the amount of 25% due the month following the initial court date, 25% due the second month, and the final 25% due the third month. Remember that the first 25% was paid on the court date.
1: Right. And while all these payments are being made, regular rent payments must continue to be paid to the landlord as contracted for in the lease. So, for an example, if an eligible tenant owes the landlord $500 and their monthly rent is $500 then the tenant must have $125 on the first court date, so that's 25%. Then, under the program each month, the tenant would pay the landlord $625 for the next three months. $500 is the normal rent, plus $125 is the 25% of what is owed.
0: And if the tenant makes all of their payments on time, then the judge must dismiss the unlawful detainer as being satisfied. If the tenant fails to make any of the required payments or fails to keep current on any of the monthly rent payments, and the landlord notifies the court, the court then must enter an order of possession without further hearing or proceedings.
1: And two quick things to note. First, the program does not prohibit a landlord from bringing an unlawful detainer for non-rent related issues during the program, and it does not prohibit the landlord from entering into a voluntary payment agreement with the tenant outside of the program.
0: Both Virginia Realtors podcasts are available for streaming through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Subscribe to our podcasts to get automatic updates when we have new episodes and rate us. Remember, members of Virginia Realtors have access to our legal hotline where we can provide you with legal information. You can access the legal hotline on the Virginia Realtors website under the legal tab on the for members section. Make sure you're logged in to see this. Thanks!